Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tianwei. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is visiting the United States this week at the invitation of U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. According to China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the visit will cover bilateral ties and issues of international concern. The visit coincides with California Governor Gavin Newsom's tour to China. It is also coming at a time three weeks ahead of the Asia-Pacific Economic Leaders Meeting in San Francisco. So what can we expect from the trip? For more, let's loop in our panelists. In Los Angeles, I'm joined by Douglas Paul, Distinguished Fellow of the Asia Program of Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. In Washington, D.C., Surab Gupta, Senior Asia-Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist from the Institute for China-American Studies. And last but not least, in Shanghai, Professor Shen Ding Li from the Institute of International Studies with Fudan University. Gentlemen, what a pleasure to see all of you. So, we have seen the warming up of people-to-people -people interactions between China and the U.S., particularly with the ongoing visit by Californian governor to China. Now, Mr. Paul, now we hear the good news of a Chinese State Councilor and Foreign Minister Wang Yi visit to the U.S., going to be received by his uh, American counterpart. So how do you see uh, different levels of interactions at this moment? Institutions have begun to resume the kinds of contacts they've had in the past. In a few days, we'll have the Xiangshan Forum, which is between the militaries that China has relations with and the United States that will have some participation as well. So I think this is a generally improving atmosphere, reflecting change in China, not so much change elsewhere. Yes, I agree with Doug. People to people, official to official, contacts are resuming very rapidly from China to U.S. and from U.S. to China. And China will soon have a new defense minister who is to go to welcome all participants, including from America, to come to Beijing to discuss international uh, uh, defense cooperation. So we are going to see a more active and more uh, international, uh, deepened international engagement. If I may add one more facet, and that facet is, I think, at the American end, the feeling is that much of what they wanted to get done vis-a-vis -vis China in terms of competing with China, that has been done. You know, the National Security Advisor talked of building situations of strength by building a latticework of alliances and partnerships around China to shape the environment. The United States has also... I mean, there's, there have been a lot of industrial policy actions. And of course, as we know, te technology controls, export controls. So the U.S., this administration feels that it has done most of what it wanted to do with China. A, a lot of that was disruptive, of course. So it now wants to stabilize the relationship with China. And it is, it is, is, it is committed to that structural stabilization of relationship, although I would suggest that it's not at a threshold as high as we would prefer it to be. But the administration mm. is out to, to stabilize the relationship. Interesting. Uh, Mr. Paul, you want to respond to that? No, I think he's essentially said it correctly. This upcoming visit for which Wang Yi will be preparing for President Xi's attending the APEC Leaders Forum reflects a strengthening of the U.S. position in a greater sense 
sense of self-confidence by the U.S. with rebuilding alliances and uh, doing some reforms at home. Uh, if the visit were not to take place, if Xi Jinping were not to come to the U.S., the U.S. would still feel it was a success because he would have come under terms where the U.S. had resumed a position of strength, something that was mm. discussed early on controversially in Anchorage between Yang Jiechiru, Wang Li, Jake Sullivan, and Secretary Blinken. Professor Shen, what about from the Chinese side, looking at the uh, realities that today we have seen increasing call upon actions uh, together on climate change. Meanwhile, we also see conflicts uh, going on, particularly the ongoing one in the Middle East uh, that is extremely worrisome. Now, I know China has also been trying to play a constructive role in the process. So how do you see the timing of uh, you know, this uh, increasing interaction besides just bilateral relations? A lot of issues to be dis discussed between China and the U.S. On the positive side, the two countries need to increase government-to-government contacts, especially after establishing China-U.S. Uh, economic working group. And also, as you mentioned, climate change, and also increasing amount of regional tension in Europe. How China, U.S., and various other stakeholders got to work together to step, stabilize the situation in Ukraine, and how with uh, just just uh, emerged uh, Middle East uh, uh, new emergency, and uh, China, U.S., and other stakeholders would work under the UN framework to uh, help ease the tension, uh, to help stabilize the situation in Gaza area, to comfort mm. Israel, and also to help uh, the miserable uh, people living in that part of Gaza. So mm. China and US need to meet, discuss, working together, and donate our resource uh, to propose uh, mutually acceptable decent uh, proposal to help yeah. uh, both Palestine, Hamas, and uh, Israel. And China needs the U.S. to be very serious in handling the Taiwan issues uh, facing the upcoming Taiwan election. So U.S. can do a lot to assure China U.S. is a responsible country. And China uh, would also uh, contribute uh, for its best uh, what it can do. Mr. Gupta? You know, there's much to discuss between the two sides, but I want to bring focus on the APEC platform, which is very, very important because, you know, as the two sides have been competing in Asia from an economic perspective, they've essentially, you know, the decoupling has happened. And they, right now, there are very few institutional frameworks. In, there are, of course, there are not that many institutional frameworks in which they communicate together. APEC is one platform for trade and economics, where they do communicate to with, are on the same platform and communicate with each other. And this creates a basis for more, for more deepened conversations. Yes, they do meet at, 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 the, at the G20, but as we know with regard to IPEF and some of the various initiatives that the US has mm -hmm. put out, critical minerals partnership, et cetera, et cetera, much of that is to decouple from China or de-risk from China economically and from a trade perspective. So the APEC platform becomes important for the two to meet together and hoping to deepen ties within that. 
But mm. beyond that platform too, I would say that there are areas that there are there are deliverables that they can harvest at this very meeting going forward. I think they're talking in terms of have of initiating a 1.5 track on AI, uh, artificial intelligence in areas such as areas where AI will not be allowed to uh, to to manage decision making, say nuclear command and control. I think both sides can agree on that. Another mm-hmm. area which can be harvested quickly, I think the time has come to restart mill-mill conversations, communications at the senior level. And I'm hoping that the two sides, from a bilateral perspective, will really give a push to get their science and technology agreement, the very first agreement after normalization in 1979, uh, renewed, permanently renewed or renewed for the next term. And, and mm. that it's not going to happen at this meeting because there's a lot of issues to, to thrash out. But I hope the two presidents can really put impetus and the capital right. behind getting that agreement done. Mr. Paul, you see the two gentlemen already given out a very long laundry list of their own for the discussion. Obviously, we are looking at a very short timeline leading up to APEC. I Meanwhile, right after APEC, the U.S. is going to... Uh, entering its election year. So this window opportunity could be quite short. What can be done during this window opportunity if there is commitment? Well, I think I think it's um, not likely to be very much in real in reality, but I think it's it's worth being ambitious. Uh, let's take the worst crisis right now, which is the Gaza crisis with Israel. China has been seeking to exploit opportunities to uh, separate itself from the U.S. The U.S. has been uh, dragged into a conflict it's not comfortable with. Both the U.S. and China need to be more ambitious in their goals to prevent the, the conflict from spreading in the Middle East. Both of us depend directly or indirectly on the Middle Eastern energy supplies. It's not in the interest of China or the U.S. to have those interrupted. This would be a good time for China to exercise more of its influence on Iran having delivered on the Iranian-Saudi normalization recently. Uh, China could show a positive uh, hand in helping to sustain a calm, nonviolent Middle East as we get through this current crisis. We have seen increasing people-to-people interactions, also with the ongoing California governor's visit to China. We have seen, you know, warming up of the Chinese public's response about a country called the United States of America, and about you know what people can be doing together when they are together. So, uh, Professor Shen, how much do you see the public sentiment could be having opportunities to change for the better, to warm up the already very much icy relations? Well, I think, uh, for what I know, the Chinese side, uh, majority people may think it's great to increase uh, the weekly uh, two-way of, uh, commercial flights from four to 10 to 24, now to 40. And that's not enough. We need to increase these two hundreds uh, to return to the normal, old normal uh, before COVID. And with that, more Chinese can reduce their cost uh, to travel to US, to study, to do business, to invest. And we welcome U.S. visitors, more governors, more students to return. And now uh, such a kind of a bilateral flow of people uh, have been very limited, winter increase. With more interaction, 
and Chinese view toward the U.S. might be more balanced. And we also know there are many modern America, uh, say, may have some view which is not that positive on China. And mm-hmm. some may have may find their uh, reason, and some may be uh, uh, ungrounded. We would welcome America to be to return to study to invest to help us uh, for our chip making business. And also, uh, we should assure them we're not going to uh, use this American uh, originated uh, high technology uh, to be used against America. So our president and the U.S. need to talk, to assure each other, and probably to verify, uh, to make others uh, to believe you are not lying. Mm. With increased uh, uh, interaction and uh, uh, cooperation, I think more and more mutual suspicion might be reduced. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Uh, Mr. Gupta, decoupling seems to be a phrase now decreasingly favored by the general public, uh, even apparently in the United States uh, when it comes to decoupling with China. What will be the adjective to characterize the appropriate proportion of interactions between China and the United States. How much do you see that discussion is taking place in the U.S.? How do you see political events in the U.S. might have an impact or not on this discussion? You know, the U.S. has been trying to walk back a little from that decoupling talk and start calling it de-risking. The Europeans invented that term. And to be frank, the Europeans have actually implemented that honestly. I think there is, they're moving out in terms of trying to de-risk the China relationship to the extent that there's not excess dependence in particular sectors on, uh, on China. I'm skeptical that that's what the U.S. really wants. It says it wants de-risking, but my sense is that the political sentiment in Washington is geared much more towards decoupling, selective decoupling in sectors, not across the board, but decouple. And for me, the, the... The Biden administration, to its credit, has tried to get ahead of this uh, to some extent after taking very significant measures, of course, against China, uh, in terms of trying to preserve that 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 small yard high fence framework that it has. That framework, frankly, is a bit mm-hmm. beginning to expand, even though it doesn't want it to, as we've seen in the recent supplement to the export controls it just put out last week. But the Biden administration, that having been said, would like to try to maintain a certain degree of sanity and, and control over the relationship. I doubt whether that is going to really take place. The Republicans have very strong views on this. And even if the Biden administration is to an extent uh, successful in that regard, think of the sectors that it has listed out for decoupling. It talks in terms of quantum, it talks in terms of AI, and of course, chips. 
quantum AI, these are all the sectors of the future. So the progression of the relationship would be one towards drifting apart, then coming together. I am mm. skeptical, frankly, in this regard. And I don't think uh, things are moving in the in a good direction. And frankly, uh, the, there is a real, real, there, there's there's a real buildup of steam on Capitol Hill to actually take it right to the to the to the edge of the precipice in terms of decoupling the relationship. So mm. not 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 okay. many happy things to say, frankly, in this regard. How do you see the roles of different players, Mr. Paul, in the discussion of uh, China-U.S. relations? particularly looking at the future and potential of this bilateral relations? Well, um, it's a complicated picture. I think Professor Sean made a very important point about resuming people-to-people uh, -people ties. Uh, there's a natural attraction between the people of China, the United States, and other countries. Uh, they don't want to be in confrontation as a natural state. They'd like to exploit opportunities to change that. But over against that, political forces are, as uh, Mr. Gupta has been saying, uh, pushing in the opposite direction. We've had a visit to China by Governor uh, Newsom of California. He stands out in contrast with the governors in Michigan or Virginia or North Carolina, Arizona, Florida, who have been trying to draw lines that keep China out. I think that uh, that's an encouraging sign where it reinforces the message that Professor Shun had, which is we do need more people-to-people -people ties to work against the strong pressure to, uh, to, to kind of recreate the Cold War between the United States and China. Meanwhile, how does that work inside China, uh, Professor Shen? As we know that there are some promising signs, for example, on Tuesday, Lenovo, uh, a company that has been bringing the best of China and the U.S. together for quite some time, had a grand event uh, in the U.S. inviting the U.S. Uh, partners, including some of the major chip makers, to be on the same stage for AI's future, the discussion about that. Uh, that is only one of those uh, many examples, in fact, in terms of business synergy taking place between the two countries. But now, how do you see different players, their input in this discussion in China as well about What's next with the U.S.? With the fact that both of the other two gentlemen have illustrated very clearly about the still worrisome decoupling trends, in particularly some of the key and critical areas. Two days ago, White House has announced its final decision to restrict U.S. high technology, especially those artificial intelligence, etc. Uh, to transfer from the U.S. to China. But meantime, I noted that the U.S. has relaxed some of its uh, uh, control announced last year uh, to some extent. For instance, uh, to uh, uh, remove those uh, potential control uh, risk uh, uh, restriction over South Korean chip-making uh, business. And, uh, Taiwan origin chip making investment uh, in mainland. Uh, in the past year, US would extend waiver to them year by year, but this time indefinitely, no more control. They can increase their investment in China. This is good. US has realized the more restriction imposed on China, the more likely that why China would suffer in short term, but in medium and the long term, 
China would uh, generate its own uh, origi own original innovative uh, technology and then compete with US uh, more uh, uh, strongly. How to uh, handle China's ever increasing technological innovation through right. restriction and through cooperation? US is trying to uh, create a more complicated, nuanced uh, combination. I think that this is some new phenomenon. And President mm -hmm. Xi Jinping mentioned uh, two weeks ago when he received the visiting US uh, Senator uh, Majority Leader. Uh, and he said he renewed his decade-long uh, uh, argument. There is 1,000 reasons to improve US-China relations. And there is no single reason uh, to be harmful to such a relationship. If both countries would commit to this uh, rightist uh, political belief and also would implement in their best heart uh, of such a, a cooperation, I think uh, we have still have good hope to ever improve relationship, rela uh, good relationship and right. also to uh, re reduce uh, those kind of uh, industry uh, resilience uh, that the risking, uh, etc. Okay. Now, from now until November, the APEC uh, uh, economic leaders meeting, very limited time, only a few weeks ago. So during this critical prep time, what needs to be done? What kinds of uh, atmosphere needs to be there to make sure when there is an if there were uh, an interaction bilaterally between the two presidents, that things can be on track and bring more potentials for the future, despite all of the challenges all of you mentioned. Uh, Mr. Gupta. I think the two sides have been handling this fairly astutely for, for, for the last couple of months, frankly, uh, ever since Secretary Blinken went across, was it in June? And then of course we had Treasury Secretary, Commerce Secretary, we had uh, Mr. Kerry come across, They've handled this well. You know, President Xi has written letters to American citizens. This is typically well choreographed. And I think uh, when Mr. Wang Yi then met Mr. Mr. Sullivan in Malta, the little incremental steps along the way have been taken. And there isn't as yet I see any deal breaker per se. Uh, so both sides have communicated to each other that what the do's and don'ts. I think they're both sticking within their lanes. And I think that's all a, all, a, all a very good sign that they will move. Of course, we don't need a, something like a balloon incident or something like that, something which which we, we cannot foresee pop up and that can just couple matters. But I think the two sides deserve credit for getting process right. And what they need to now do is to deliver a product, frankly, and right. we're not so sure how, whether they can in, in San Francisco. Professor Shen. I think the two countries have already turns the tide around with uh, so many U.S. Uh, high-level secretaries uh, coming to China and a Chinese senior leader visiting U.S. or meeting uh, in Malta, etc. The two countries are well in a mood and in the process to make, to make uh, the, two, the, the next round of summit between the two presidents face-to-face -to, -face to happen uh, to pr prepare for a better short-term relationship for next year. U.S. needs to respond to China on the single most sensitive uh, issue, Taiwan, to be uh, firm not to support Taiwan independence. 
Mr. Paul? Well, I think Mr. Gupta and Professor Shun have said it well. Um, economically, I think we need to get a basis going for more reasonable, fact-based cooperation. And there, Secretary Yellen and Heli Fang from the Chinese side and uh, Secretary Romondo have they reflect business and financial interests very well. And I think they will bring some realism to the economic uh, interactions. The U.S., since the Malta and Vienna meetings between the national security leaders, has been more disciplined on the question of Taiwan. And China has been more careful about its rhetoric on sensitive security issues. And we need to see that continue and see if we can push the agenda a little farther to find areas where we can actually agree that there is going to be no competition or we can actually cooperate. Uh, so I think there's, it's moving in the right direction, but I don't want to be overly optimistic. Thank you for all of you for your wonderful input, Douglas Paul, Shanding Li, and Sura Gupta. Really appreciate it. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now.